The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to I Took the High Road with Jacob Jansen. Our program is designed to educate about the drug problems that are reaching epidemic proportions in the United States. Could we be approaching the drug problem the wrong way? Mr. Jansen has been down the road of addiction, down the path of recovery, and now helps others find their path. Addicts are not bad people trying to get good. They are sick people needing to get well. Are you a part of the solution or the problem? Come and join us for an hour of fantastic guests, amazing stories, positive encouragement, and information that just might make your community a better place. Now, here's your host, Jacob Jensen. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining our show. Uh, my name is Jacob Jansen, and this is I Took the High Road. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about interventions. The show is called Intervention Question Mark, Intervention Exclamation Point, Intervention Period. And we have a real special guest on today, uh, Ed Storty, and I'm going to introduce him a little bit later. Uh, but the first thing that I want to talk about in our show today um, is I've been going to a, a lot of different uh, speaking events, and, and I've been talking with a lot of different people in the community, and this idea idea of a gateway drug keeps coming up. And more often than not, it's a marijuana. And I believe that this is the, the because it's the first illegal substance that people usually try, so they consider that the gateway to a bigger problem. So I wanted to dig into this uh, just a little bit further. So what I did is I went to the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse, um, and I wanted to see if anything uh, leads people to illegal drugs. And this is what I found. This is directly off the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse site. It says, studies have found a connection between youth who use alcohol and tobacco and those who use illicit drugs. Of the youth who reported heavy drinking, defined as drinking five or more drinks on the same occasion of each or five or more days in the past 30 days, 69.9% also reported that they had used an illegal drug. In comparison, illegal drug use for those who were not current alcohol users or who hasn't used alcohol in the, thir- uh, in the last 30 days was reported at 5.2%. So people who have used uh, uh, alcohol or drugs, 69.9%. Those who haven't used alcohol or tobacco, only 5.2% use. Youth who smoke tobacco are nine times more likely to meet the medical criteria for alcohol abuse and 13 times more likely to meet the medical criteria for illicit drug abuse and dependence. Neurological research suggests that nicotine can cause structural and chemical changes in teenagers' brains 
increasing the risk of alcohol, marijuana, and opiate use. So if we are seeing these very high uh, numbers connecting uh, alcohol and um, tobacco to drug use, uh, why aren't we saying that these are the gateway? So, you know, I also went to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and this is what they said. 41% of Americans have tried marijuana uh, in their adult life. So by that logic, if marijuana is the gateway or we're perceiving this as a gateway, why aren't 41% of Americans hooked on uh, prescription pills or heroin or opiates? So there really isn't one path. Uh, you know, gateway really implies that there is a guaranteed path to a certain, uh, down a certain path. And, and that's really not true. Um, what I've identified as the factors that lead people through the gateway are three different things. Uh, the first being biology. How does your uh, biology work with the certain substance that you're using? Are you going to get hooked on it? Uh, the second factor is lack of information or misinformation. Uh, have you really been told the right things around this substance? Um, and then the third is your risk-taking ability. Are, are you willing to try something, take a risk based off some bad information that may uh, connect with your biology and lead you through that gateway and then to, to more problems? So, you know, what ultimately uh, makes somebody change that unhealthy behavior once they get through that gateway? Um, once they've uh, opened that gateway, you know, it may be very, very difficult for them to get out if, if they, they have that right chemistry and biology in their head that hooks them on the substance. So when do people change? Uh, when people change, it's when they hit that proverbial bottom, um, you know, and it's hitting that bottom in some area of their life, whether it's financial or social or spiritual uh, or work-related it's hitting that bottom. And, and really the point of an intervention is to create that proverbial bottom before something bad really happens, before that person overdoses, uh, before they get arrested and have felony charges. Um, so really that's the, the point of the, the intervention is, is to help that person understand that they have a problem and to really teach the family how to get that person to help the right way. Um, so today, uh, you know, as we talk about interventions, uh, like I said, we have a very special guest on our show today. Um, his name is Ed Storty. He's an author, a lecturer, and an intervention specialist. Um, he's an international and California certified alcohol and drug abuse counselor and board registered interventionist. Uh, he's choreographed over 3,600 motivational interventions throughout the world. He is the author of Crisis Intervention, Acting Against Addiction, and Heart to Heart, The Honorable Approach to Motivational Interventions. Um, Ed is a member of the National Association of Alcoholism and Drug Abuse Counselors, the California Association of Alcoholism, Alcoholism and Drug Abuse Counselors, and the Association of Intervention Specialists. Um, as you can see, he's quite well respected and has quite a, a list of accomplishments. Um, he's also okay. on the board of the Board of Directors for the House of Hope Foundation in San Pedro um, and the recipient of the 2009 Spirit Award from the Gooden Center and 2011 uh, Pillar of the Community Recognition Award from the Sierra Tucson Treatment Center. Uh, so, Ed, I'd, I'd really like to thank you uh, for coming on my show today. Oh, thank you, Jake. It's good to, good to be here. Thank you. So, 
you know, I, um, I definitely respect what you are doing. I'm very early into, uh, you know, what I've been doing as an interventionist. And, and here you've been doing this almost as many years as I've been alive on this planet. Um, so, you know, many people really have a skewed idea or a view of, of what an intervention is. Um, as an interventionist, what does the word intervention mean to you? Well, first of all, you know, in your opening, it was wonderful because it does talk about the genetics with, um, you know, with people just can be set up. You know, just uh, a person taking a drug innocently in experimentation and uh, then from that moment connected to the drug period. And there will be families and loved ones uh, noticing and um, uh, frightened and fearful of where the individual is going with the addiction and what's going to happen to them. And there's times that uh, as families see it or, or loved ones and employers, uh, what more can they do? And intervening is what I see is interrupting the illness, interrupting the destiny of the illness, and altering the situation and altering it to a point that hopefully it can go a different way and, and, and be a be positive and work for the individual as as well as for the family. Because bottom for most people is insanity and death. And when we keep thinking that someone will make a decision to go get help, most don't. Most don't have that epiphany. Most do not walk in and say, "I, I think I need help. Usually they're intervened on through either uh, through the legal system or uh, through uh, uh, a family member leaving or setting boundaries or a crisis occurring in some way. And intervening can be a positive experience, but it's also powerful. And uh, that's what we try to set up is a powerful moment in one's life to alter the destiny of the addiction. Sure, I can uh, certainly relate to that as going through it and being intervened upon myself, but you know, uh, by the police and also by a counselor. But you know, also doing this as an interventionist and, yeah. and intervening on other people, um, you know, help help bring that proverbial bottom up a bit. So, uh, how you know this? This is a really you know a challenging field to to, to say the least. Um, it, it is definitely an emotional roller coaster and has its challenges. Um, how did you decide to to start doing interventions? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I was just a, a young counselor uh, somewhere around in 1976, and um, there was a gentleman. Uh, that came up to me in the treatment program, and he just said, you know, he had a daughter, 24 years of age, uh, that was alcoholic. She's going to die from alcoholism, and uh, would I come over to the home and talk to her? And I went to my colleagues, and I presented to them, uh, what do you think of the idea of me going to the home? And they said, no, don't go into the home. She should be coming to you. And so I went back to him, and I said, I'm sorry, but... Uh, you know, it's not a good idea. And he just started to cry. And I felt so bad for him. And uh, I uh, said to him, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll come over on a Sunday on my time at 8 p.m. and I'll talk to her. And what's kind of funny about the story is when I said, gee, I'll meet you there, he says, oh, no. He said, uh, I won't go in with you because I would incite her, meaning he, you know. And I'm thinking, sure. so I'm walking in alone. 
And uh, I knocked on the door, and she said, what do you want? And I just said, well, your dad asked me to come over and talk to you and uh, to uh, take a look at solutions of getting help. And she rolled her eyes and said, you have five minutes and get out. And I said, I'll take four, and I'll get out. That's not a problem. And I stayed 45 minutes, and she said, I'll go. And I said, you'll go? I said, you'll go where? And she said, to a treatment program. And I said, oh. I said, well, tonight? And she said, yes, I'll go, I'll, I'll go tonight, Sunday night. She goes, you know, don't talk me out of it. And that started uh, my career in intervening. I left there thinking, uh, gee, you know, uh, I could walk into a home and present to someone's heart, and if their heart opens up, you have a chance versus going to their mind. Because the mind will close, but the heart can stay open for a while. Sure, ab- absolutely. You know, and when I started training to do interventions, you know, I did not know about the story model um, and, and didn't realize that I was kind of actually practicing it, going into the families, how homes, really teaching the families how to do this. And uh, you mentioned when you started out, you went right to the individual. And uh, one of the interesting things that I've really learned through doing interventions is, you know, I always thought that the difficulty would be in the individual and in asking them to get help. And more often than not, I, re- I really find that it's in the family, that that individual, uh, you know, when they're affected all the family members negatively and they're constantly hearing about their addiction, uh, they want to do something about it. They want to change and, you know, intervention kind of just gives them that option to, to do that. Um, yeah. So. Yes. Well, you know, it opens up the door. I mean, for a uh, patient, as, as, as I would say, the intervening, the patient, as well as the family. But, you know, uh, then again, uh, and this is just something I have noticed, I have found in intervening, there's more power in bringing outside people in than family members. So on one level, it's great to have family unified. You want to show that to the best of ability. Uh, but uh, having uh, extended family, friends, colleagues make the difference. That sure, I... really makes the difference. That's the magic. Yeah, well, and I, and I think, you know, that uh, definitely kind of leads to, you know, accountability with the disease and, and addiction kind of lives in the shadows and recovery demands exposure. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Well, what you do is you break the silence. I mean, there's always silence. I mean, if we were at the funeral, uh, people would be whispering, well, you know what really took her. You know what sure. took him. And... Uh, uh, you know, folks would say it's too bad we couldn't have done something or said something. Well, in my opinion, then intervening can certainly be a living eulogy. That if the person gets help, wonderful. That's terrific. If they don't get help, then at least you eulogize them and presented that they have a way out in a rebirth, and we're all present to have that and to create create the moment. Uh, but uh, you know, that's that that then hopefully brings relief to the group that was wondering, could they have said something? No, absolutely. You know, and we were just talking, you know, before we came on the air about, you know, I'm in the Midwest and it's such a conservative area of the country that, you know, uh, so many families don't want to bring this to light or don't want to talk about it because of of the shame, you know, involved uh, around that. Um, Do you have any words of advice maybe to, you know, parents that are kind of on the edge or, or going, do I need an intervention? There's maybe a lot of shame holding them back from getting help. Yes. Uh, well, it's a great question, because, I mean, uh, it's kind of interesting that 
um, the statistics uh, that I have uh, proven to be absolutely correct would be about one out of ten people that calls for an inquiry about intervening will will mature to an intervention. One out of ten. So nine will not. They'll think about it. They might call ten years later. They will call eight months later because of further trauma. But one out of ten will mature. And what's interesting is that 90% of people intervened upon will go to treatment upon completion of the intervention. No, absolutely. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, 90% will, will, will go, 90%. So we have to be set up with proper solution and uh, who's taking them and uh, guarantor the accounts and things of that nature. But when you think of the success of intervening, then when you get people calling you, they'll try to talk themselves out of it. I'm not sure she's that bad. Uh, it can be a psychiatric problem. Some people would much rather have a psychiatric label, uh, parents talking about their children, than to be talking about that they're addicted to crystal meth or to heroin. Sure. Uh, uh, go ahead. Yep. I was going to say, I, I've absolutely experienced the same thing, probably about the same rounds. Uh, you know, so, so many people that will call in starting to look for help. But I, I find that it is much easier to get a person to accept help at the intervention than, than a family to go through with the actual intervention. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, that's the deciphering process of inquiry going into an assessment because uh, some people again will give you all the reasons why it won't work and I've said over the phone uh, there have been times I've said to folks that you know uh, you'll have to talk me into it because I would never talk you into it and if you're feeling that it's just too uncomfortable at this time then you might learn more about addictive disease but kind of a rule of thumb is when your gut tells you that your loved one has a problem, normally they do. And that okay. addiction is there. The intellect is what takes you away from it. Uh, absolutely, Ed. I, I think that's right on point. And I want you to hold that thought. we got to take a quick break here uh, from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk more with Ed Storty. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Hi, my name is Jacob Jansen, and I am the owner of My Recovery Project. Do you know someone using drugs or alcohol? Are their actions negatively affecting you or people you care about? If so, it is time for an intervention. Far too often, we are a country that acts after problems arise. It is time to act now. Interventions confront a person and allow them to see their self-destructive behavior and how it affects themselves, family, and friends. Just as important, interventions help the family understand the disease of addiction and make sure the loved one gets the help they need by offering a solution of treatment. I have been through the hell of addiction, and I have found a passion in recovery helping others. Getting a person into treatment can be a difficult task. I help the family through this providing options, and I become a mediator during the intervention. If you would like more information, please visit www.myrecoveryproject.com or call 262-290-1072 for a free consultation before things get worse. My name is Linda Lenz. 
Last year, my husband and I received a phone call that no parent should ever receive. We received a call that our 23-year-old son had died of a heroin overdose. We were on a mission to find out how this could happen. He was a beautiful person, intelligent, a straight-A student, and a wonderful son. But here's what we did not know. The drug landscape had changed. Kids in junior high and high school were using prescription pills to get high. Prescription pills are opiates, just like heroin, and they can be found in almost every home's medicine cabinet. To combat this problem, we established a Facebook page, Stop Heroin WI, and a website, StopHeroinNow.org. Please go to this website and donate generously. All of your money goes directly to prevention programs and rehabilitation programs. StopHeroinNow.org. So no parent ever has to receive that phone call. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email at jacobjansen at itookthehighroad.com. Now, back to the show. Hello, and this is I Took the High Road. I am Jacob Jansen, and our show today is Intervention Question Mark, Intervention Exclamation Mark, Intervention Period, with our guest Ed Storty. Uh, right before the break, we were talking about reasons why you might want to do uh, an intervention. So, Ed, as I, I welcome you back, the, the question that I have for you coming back is, is there any reason that a family maybe uh, wouldn't do an intervention or, or why you wouldn't perform an intervention with a family. Yeah, it's a very good point. And I think uh, new interventionists have to really, um, you know, be on top of that because not all families should go through it. Uh, you know, I, I don't ever forget it is, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, a, a life on the line. Uh, it's, um, it's a highly emotional and very involved uh, intervening actually the actual process of intervening uh... and i think you'd know this uh, jake is that you know it can be thirty minutes forty five minutes one hour sure. I, i've often said if you go two two and a half hours in an intervention you'll think you had brain surgery <laughs> just exhausting yes. uh... but you know you'll pick up in inquiries or even in the assessment uh, that there isn't a do- enough documentation to go forward and to feel clear with a primary diagnosis. That might be one. It just, it's coming from one person, and uh, it, it, it is not coming from others. Uh, so that's something to look at. Another would be uh, the person is known to be violent, highly violent or vindictive that you have certain people present in the intervention that he or she could fire at a moment's notice. 
So you've got to be careful with people's lives. I mentioned that one time in an, uh, a preparation. We were as far as the preparation. And someone thanked me, and they said, thank you for saying that because I've worked hard to be in the will of this individual, and I don't want to jeopardize it. I don't want him to take it the wrong way. And I said, well, you know, that, I, I understand it. That's, that's, mm-hmm. That is a risk. Uh, you know, the other is is that uh, more than not, people will say, I'm not sure we've given a chance, uh, given him or her a chance to at least uh, try it and, and, and have a soft conversation about it. And I've uh, steered it that way. Why don't one or two of you go talk to the individual and present to them your deepest concerns and hopefully that you've kind of you know, have a research to solution that they might make that call. And some folks have called me saying, great idea, because they're going to go to a treatment program. So these sure. are things you look for. Not, not all of it has to go to the level of an immediate intervention. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I always tell the story of a lady that called me, and she said, okay, we're ready to go forward. My mom is 81. And uh, I, I forgot the name, you know. She goes, yeah, we've, we, you, you did the assessment. And I said, oh, of course. And I'm thinking, I don't know this lady. I don't know who she is. And I said, allow me. When, I'm very sorry, but when did I do the assess- assessment? She said, oh, 11 years ago. <laughs> and so they waited 11 years, you know. So it's, you know, different, different uh, waiting times for different folks. No, absolutely. I, I agree 100% with that. Uh, so you, you, what makes, you know, the story model of intervention different than the other current intervention models? And, and really, how have you seen it develop and change over the years? Yeah, um, well, I think, you know, when I got into intervening, it was immediate. And I, uh, when I wrote my first book, I had a, someone read the book, and I said, well, what do you think? He says, well, you know, what I like about it is, you know, you kind of take on an emergency role, uh, physician's role in the emergency room. You know, it's like you're, you're, you're the doc coming out, and the patient has been willed in, and you're attending the patient immediately, and then you go out into uh, the waiting room and bring family in and have a chat. And so I've, I, I always had this idea that uh, immediately you need to stabilize the patient immediately because they can die and have a horrible tragedy or crisis and take people with them or create mayhem. So my thinking was, how can you immediately get to that person, bring the group in, then the immediate family go get help in the treatment program. If the patient doesn't go get uh, treatment, well, then the family at least will hopefully go get help uh, for themselves in, in a family program or to a 12-step program. Uh, and that's what's worked for me. So I think one uh, kind of a, a difference would be to accelerate the model and immediately make it happen as soon as possible. The other thing I noticed, when you accelerate the model, you can get more people to attend because they don't have to put a weekend in or three days into education in other models. It's not that they're bad. It's that some people would rather work with the immediate family. And uh, a normal group in, in the model of intervention that I've utilized over the years has been from 12, 15, 18 people. I had as high as 32 people walk in with me to intervene on a homicide detective in Los Angeles years ago. 
Wow, that's, um, that's a big group. <laughs> that's a big group. And so uh, the difference would be the acceleration. It certainly would be the presence of people that makes a major difference when you walk in. Because uh, the words, I, I see it as uh, speaking from the heart and presenting the need by our presence that this needs to happen. Uh, the other would be that it doesn't have to be leverage-oriented. It can certainly be one that we are in fear, and we're doing this before disciplinary action or before family splits up or whatever. But what we're looking for is that we don't want to lose you. And we believe a tragedy is around the corner, so we're going to give you a way out so that we then know that we have done everything that we can do and we are going to get help ourselves. Sure. In your model, you, you talk about a positive crisis. And when most people think of crisis, they don't think of it as positive. Can you maybe explain a little bit more about what is a positive crisis? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point. I mean, it's one where um, I just... You know, I think in intervening, it can be, many times it feels doom and gloom. I mean, when you intervene, I mean, people, as you know, they're scared. I mean, people are walking into a room and uh, they want the right outcome and, 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 and hopefully the best of results and everybody be happy. And I have thought a long time ago that, uh, you know, that if we were going to lose that individual, uh, what would people then say in a eulogy? I mean, what would they say about the goodness of the person? So the positive crisis comes around. It is, uh, it is a, uh, uh, one that, you know, that, that as we walk in, the person didn't know it was going to occur. So they're surprised. They're surprised, and that is a crisis in that person's life. Uh, where their, their their defenses are unbalanced and they're stunned. So when you walk in and you present, then the positiveness is to create a moment in their life that they are worth the time and energy of all the people being there at that moment. And if they've ever questioned that they're loved and cared about, folks have taken time out of their life to be present at that moment to give them this moment in life. And that is a gift. That is a gift that people can be honest and give you that energy. And then, of course, bringing the solution, because hopefully that solution has been red carpeted, where they can walk in and not try to figure it out, but it's been done for them. Sure. You know, when, when I uh, do interventions, you know, the, that typical reaction from the person that we're intervening upon, um, you know, completely changes after they hear that first letter. They think they're going to be attacked or belittled or shamed into going or told they're a bad person. And, you know, really during my interventions, it's about saying, we care about you, we love you, but your actions are, are affecting people negatively, and, and we want to give you this gift of help and change. Uh, one, one of the things Things that people really look towards, you know, during an intervention as a success rate or factors, do they accept treatment or help during the intervention? What are, you know, some of the other components that you look at, you know, as, as far as being a successful intervention? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, honestly, uh, over the years, I've thought about that. And, um, you know, when you really think success, um, I used to have, uh, short-term goals being one where that number one, hopefully they're available to be intervened upon. Number two, that they'll sit down 
You know, that would be a nice goal that the West at least set. And number three, that they'll hopefully engage the intervention to the best of their ability, even though their mind is going backwards, you know, because, I mean, they're feeling that they're on the hot seat. But many times in intervening, it's the participants that are on the hot seat because they've been living with it for X amount of weeks and and sometimes months. Uh, But, you know, I think to walk in and to present that the secret is over is an amazing gift to an individual. So I think that whether the individual goes into treatment or not, that it was dealt with. You know, I had a case many years ago. And a family said to me, we want to intervene the next day. And I, it was on a Wednesday. And I said to them, I can't do it. I'll refer you. They said to me, let's do it on a Friday. And I said, I can't do it. I'm just booked. And I can prepare it on Sunday, go in on Monday. 32-year-old male using cocaine alcohol. And yeah. he had separated from his wife. He's living in a different, uh, uh, a different condo. And so... Um, I, I looked at them and I said, you know, he's been doing this for a good amount of time, so I'm sure we'll be fine, and uh, again, I'll prepare it on Sunday. They said, fine, uh, no problem, we want you to do the case. I said, great. I was paged uh, on a Friday evening. They said, you don't have to show he died. I said, he did what? He died. He overdosed with alcohol and cocaine. I thought I was going to die. I thought that my world caved in. I remember his name. I remember the family. I remember the feeling. And um, I'm not sure I would do this, but I was young enough and did do this where I went to the home to give my condolences. And what they basically said to me on their porch outside, we could have lived with a yes or a no. Now we will never know. And it hurt. But I'll tell you, I never forgot it. And um, when I would get butterflies to go in to do a case, uh, I'd be thinking this is much better than leaving a group thinking, I wish we would have tried. Sure, ab- absolutely. And, you know, to all the listeners out there, um, you know, if you're on the fence about this, it, what I tell families is interventions are about options. It's, it's about uh, opening up options to the family so they have choices before they don't have any. Um, and, you know, in, in a few cases, I've had families call, uh, decide to wait, things got worse, and they ended up calling back. Um, so... There, you know, there's two different addiction types, and 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 I really work with substance addictions, um, and I know you do some process addictions also, um, like sexual behavior, eating disorders, things like that. Um, do you approach, you know, process addiction interventions any differently than like a substance uh, addiction intervention? Yeah, and there's a big movement now on process interventions from gambling, sexual addiction eating disorders. Uh, Of course, we're getting into now electronics. Uh, Gaming is a big deal now uh, with people that are just addicted to staying home. Uh, Eye boxes, I mean, just staying on these things hours after hours after hours and not going to work nor school. Uh, And the vehicle of intervening is the same. It's gathering a group together presenting that there is a way out from this and you know you're you're dealing with 
the two words sincere delusion, meaning uh, people will look at you sometimes in the gaming end of it going, what problem? I enjoy what I'm doing, and I just do it 16 hours a day. Uh, but uh, that sincere delusion is one where we try to at least present, we do have a solution, and we'd like for you to try it. And, um, you know, the key to that, to these types of interventions, is always to have someone present that hopefully, by their presence alone, uh, the individual will not walk out of the intervention, and they might do it for the person in the room, the grandfather, the grandmother, uh, the rabbi, someone that's presented or, or present in the room. Um, you know, which takes me to an interesting point that, um, you know, in intervening, if you ask the person, would you like to go get help yourself, whatever, you know, issue it is, uh, typically they could say, you know, no, but will you do it for the people in the room? Then most will go, I'll try it for them and I'll give it my best shot. Uh, the actual intervening in these, uh, uh, other issues, uh, is not that much different. The only thing, you know, when you mentioned eating disorders, um, uh, anorexia is really tough because of the uh, control, uh, the anger, rage, and uh, doing it their way, and, and just the psychiatric issues that go with it, uh, that I'm going to do it my way and don't tell me what to do. And so, you know, uh, I've had people intervening somewhere about 65 pounds at 5'8", uh, 79, 89 pounds, knowing that they'll have to be IV'd, go to a hospital, and yet their determination that I don't want to do it. So it's very powerful. Uh, and you can't make people go. That's something folks have to understand. You can't just pull them out of there uh, and, and make them. They have, they have rights, legal rights. Sure, and I think that's one of the big thing, um, you know, for me that gets me in, invited into the home, you know, with the group of people to talk to this person about an intervention is saying, we are not going to force you to do anything. This is about listening to what we have to say and then making a choice. And if you decide that you want me out of here and you don't want to listen to what all your loved ones have to say, that, that choice of help, you know, that gift of help kind of, you know, disappears or, or, or moves back a little bit. So, um, it's really about helping them understand that this is a difficult process. We're going to make it easier for you and, and make that choice easier for you. So we have to take another quick commercial break from our sponsors. But when we come back, uh, we are going to talk more about interventions with Ed Storty. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. My name is Linda Lenz. Last year, my husband and I received a phone call that no parent should ever receive. We received a call that our 23-year-old son had died of a heroin overdose. We were on a mission to find out how this could happen. He was a beautiful person, intelligent, a straight-A student, and a wonderful son. But here's what we did not know. The drug landscape had changed. Kids in junior high and high school were using prescription pills to get high. Prescription pills are opiates, just like heroin, and they can be found in almost every home's medicine cabinet. To combat this problem, we established a Facebook page, Stop Heroin WI, and 
a website, stopheroinnow.org. Please go to this website and donate generously. All of your money goes directly to prevention programs and rehabilitation programs. StopHeroinNow.org So no parent ever has to receive that phone call. Hi, my name is Jacob Jansen, and I am the owner of My Recovery Project. Do you know someone using drugs or alcohol? Are their actions negatively affecting you or people you care about? If so, it is time for an intervention. Far too often, we are a country that acts after problems arise. It is time to act now. Interventions confront a person and allow them to see their self-destructive behavior and how it affects themselves, family, and friends. Just as important, interventions help the family understand the disease of addiction and make sure the loved one gets the help they need by offering a solution of treatment. I have been through the hell of addiction, and I have found a passion in recovery helping others. Getting a person into treatment can be a difficult task. I help the family through this, providing options, and I become a mediator during the intervention. If you would like more information, please visit www.myrecoveryproject.com or call 262-290-1072 for a free consultation before things get worse. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email at jacobjansen at itookthehighroad.com. Now, back to the show. Hello, and this is I Took the High Road, and I am Jacob Jansen. Uh, the show today is called Intervention Question Mark, Intervention Exclamation Point, Intervention Period, uh, with special guest Ed Storty again. Uh, so again, thank you, Ed, uh, for, for coming. Um, so do you have any specific intervention that, that stands out in your mind as a, either a success, a failure, or a turning point in your career? Yeah, good point. I think that... Um, you know, I've always believed that there's no failure in intervening. I mean, once you walk in, uh, the code of silence is over, and uh, people that don't go in that particular day, that 10%, 8 out of 10 of that group will uh, ultimately go get help within a few weeks to a few months later. Uh, and some people have to win the skirmish. Uh, you know, they just do. Uh, they'll say, I didn't w- I said no because it was no, and that's no. You know, there's no other reason than my pride and my ego mm-hmm. that I'll do it on my terms. Uh, and, you know, it's led to uh, folks not understanding why they won't go that day, but sometimes there's reasons around it, and they go in sometimes with a better attitude. So I've learned to have faith around that, that we'll do our very best. Uh, but if we were doing surgery, uh, you know, the incision was done, the exploring and probing, the suturing, and now we have to wait and see where the recovery goes. And, uh, again, some people have to do it on their terms, but at least it was presented. Um, but I think, you know, that uh, uh, you, you, know, you, you have people that they'll surprise you in intervening. Um, I had a lady, uh, we, we, we went to go intervene, 
and um, we had about 10 people. Uh, she walks into her home, and we're all there, and she goes, oh, my gosh, this is an intervention. Now, you have to understand, years ago, uh, when people didn't know the term intervention, they would think it was a real estate deal or something, <laughs> that we're bringing them, you know, some type of uh, a gift of uh, real estate or or check for something, uh, publisher's clearinghouse. Uh, but uh, she just said, you know, I don't... Uh, uh, I, I know what this is about. And she sat down. She said, can I read my letter? And I said, oh, no, we'd like to present to you if you could hold back, thinking, what is she talking about, a letter? And um, it goes on, and um, we have a couple people uh, present, and uh, she says, I'd really like to read my letter. And I finally thought, I just don't understand this. So uh, I said, please go ahead, thinking it's just going to continue. And, and she pulls out this letter, and she says, oh, this, is, this is a letter I, I wrote back way back when. Thank you all for being here today. I've wanted this treatment for a long time. Um, I was, I was uh, uh, hoping that this would occur. I hope I didn't disappoint you all. I'm not agreeing that I'll stop for the rest of my life, but I will go to treatment as long as you take care of my dog and uh, help me with my mortgage, that type of thing. And I was thinking afterwards, I cannot believe this lady is reading this letter. How long did she have? have it in her purse, and if we wouldn't have intervened, how long would it would have been if we didn't intervene? Uh, so, I mean, just the surprise, it was just, the, the, the gentleman that actually paid me for the intervention, he said, gee, Ed, if I knew I was going to go this, <laughs> yeah, I would have uh, I would have tried to bargain the deal. Sure, and, and I have a, a very similar, you know, story a, around that where I came into the house and the individual immediately knew it was an intervention, said, get out, we don't want you there. But as soon as, you know, we talked him into it and, and, and everybody uh, said what they needed to say, he said, I've known I had a problem for a long time. Thank you. I need help. I'll, I'll accept this help. And, and, I, and I hear that a lot from a lot of people, including myself and what I went through, you know, with, with my heroin addiction. Finally, when that help was offered, it was almost a sigh of relief, you know, saying other people know about this. I don't have to, you know, bring it out into the light and expose myself. Everybody already knows and they're trying to help me. Um, and, and that was really powerful for me. And, and I'm sure it is for a lot of others, too. Oh, yeah. I, I can remember a case, and it was in Long Beach, California, where uh, we were intervening on this gentleman, heroin user, and um, uh, I said to him, you know, we really would like for you to go to treatment. This is the treatment center we're proposing, and, um, you know, it's really time to make a decision to do this do it the right way. And he gets up, and I'm thinking, he's a big guy, and he gets up, and I'm thinking, what is he going to do? And he goes to uh, his mantle, and behind uh, a painting on the mantle, he pulls out syringes. He throws them on the floor. Then he goes over to a cupboard and pulls out heroin. Then he goes to another spot and pulls out more syringes. And he sits down and says, I'm sick of this lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I want help. I was just stunned, just stunned. I mean, you know, it just happens like that. It'll, sure. It's creating the epiphany. It's, yeah. it's the moment of a positive crisis.
Oh, absolutely. I've, I've met so many um, opiate-dependent people who are just sick and tired of being sick and tired, but they're also too ashamed or embarrassed because of the stigma to, to actually ask for help. Uh, so, Yeah. Well, you know, Jake, it also goes with... Um, you know, living in a jail cell in your mind. I mean, it's one thing in using the drug, but, you know, to live in despair is painful. To live in, in continuous waking up in the morning and I'm miserable is a horrible way to live. And thought addiction is powerful. So, you know, there are people that will say, I want to get off this stuff. I'm going to get off of the alcohol, uh, the other drugs, the Vicodin, the prescription meds, whatever it is. And then they get miserable within themselves, go back to the habitual thinking, go back into some resentments, and now they're miserable again going back into the drug. And it's just a horrible cycle. And so when you can bring relief to people and it's presented in a positive way, there are people that will jump at it. Of course, as you know, I know, it's one thing to present this. It's another thing. The heart opens up in the intervention. Then they go to treatment, and they take on sometimes a different persona, and pretty soon, you know, they're locked into, they don't like the roommate, they don't like, you know, the wall coverings, and things of that nature. And then there's folks that get it day one, absolute day one, they get well. Sure. You know, I, I know certainly growing up, my dream wasn't to be a, a heroin addict, you know, and, and it, it had happened. And um, I'm really glad I got help and, you know, decided to help other people, um, you know, as, as you yourself has done. So this is a very challenging profession, as I said earlier in the show. Uh, what do you find most challenging about the intervention process? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of challenges in it. And I, in fact, I do a talk to a new interventionist. Do you really want to be an intervention specialist? <laughs> and uh, there's a profile that I came up with years ago. And I think one was that, do you like being in chaos? And that simply just means that, you know, when you take on a case, it is chaotic, mm -hmm. and there's no easy case. Uh, years ago when I would leave the home, my wife would say to me, is this an easy case? It'll, is it going to go well? I, I'd say, you know, Joanne, I don't know. There's no easy cases. Mm -hmm. They're just hard. Whenever you think you have one, it can explode. <laughs> and, you know, exploding, you know, that just means that the person can walk out of the intervention. You didn't get to say what you wanted to say. Uh, there can be turmoil. Normally there is not, but it's around the corner. Uh, the person's on meth. They won't allow you to say what you want to say. So, I mean, there's different ways. And so in intervening, you have this thing of it can get chaotic. And also... Uh, it can be where it sets up in the interventionist a brooding factor, where that you wanted it to go a certain way and it didn't go. And I know that I would brood over them at least 24 hours. Could I have said something different? Maybe I should have called on this other person. Why did I do what I did when maybe I should have left it alone? So these are the, the challenges. And uh, the good part and I've often said this uh, to professionals, is that every case you get, you, you are to learn from it as if you're a resident. And you keep learning. 
and trying to refine the introduction of the words. How can I soften the words? I remember a case in San Francisco where the gentleman said to me, we walked into his dad's office, and he said, this is an intervention. I've been through one. I don't care about it. I'm not going to go. And that's the end of it, so all of you can leave. And I remember my response. It just came out spontaneous. That is not a problem for us, uh, Jim. It's not a problem. All we would like to do is sit down and do a living eulogy. Then you do what you want. And it, it just stammered him at that time. He just took a look back. And he said, a eulogy? And I said, yes, most people here believe you're not going to make it. So we would like to do a living eulogy. He said, well, I'll sit for that. And then he went to treatment. He started crying. And he said, well, what, what solution do you have? So it's sometimes just thinking on your feet and spontaneously saying what's in your heart. No, absolutely. I've, I figured, you know, in these, we have to expect the unexpected and prepare for the, the unexpected. You never know what's going to happen during these. So um, if somebody is struggling with active addiction and wants help, do you have any words of advice for them? Well, first of all, gosh, I mean, uh, when they are struggling, there's one wonderful 12-step programs out there that they can call anonymous groups, people that would uh, would come out and share with them or take them to a meeting because they're, you know, that's, that's the basis of, of, of recovery, of, of treatment, of really connecting to the anonymous groups. They're fabulous. Uh, the other would be uh, family members calling for, uh, you know, what is possible at a treatment program, what do they offer, and if the, uh, if the solution is there, possibly bringing it to their loved one, if they're showing some interest, or they can communicate, you know, that they're willing to at least be evaluated. That's terrific. Another would be uh, for the public to present, I'd like to talk to a few intervention specialists. And sometimes you call uh, family, uh, other families that have gone through it, or you can attend workshops. I mean, the Betty Ford Center has a family program, five days that you can attend, and from there uh, uh, you are treated as a family, and uh, you learn about addiction, and then see where you want to go and get ideas from other families. But the, the, the person that can call and at least uh, inquire about their addiction that's terrific because they're at least leaning towards that. Uh, when they don't call and family is stuck not knowing what to do, they can do more informational assessment, taking a look at what's best for them, and then looking into the intervention. Are they, can they qualify for it? Are they a person that would like to possibly go through it and have all the risks presented to them? Sure, and Ed, I don't want to cut you off here, but we only got about two minutes till the end of the show. So, do you have uh, any final message, quick message for the listeners, or way to contact you, or if they want to get your book? Oh, thank you. I think first of all that you know, intervening works, and it's been around for a long time. Uh, there's different models in the intervention process, uh, you know, that uh, can apply to different families from invite to surprise models that they just walk in and present. Uh, there's more gift-oriented uh, uh, interventions to more leverage-oriented 
interventions as well as for teen interventions where they have groups that will actually come out now and and make it happen if the person's under 18 years of age uh they just just due to the dangers of what the person is going through as a teen uh so there's all different models different shapes and you can find out about that uh there's a group called the Association of Intervention Specialists and you can go to their website uh, Association of Intervention Specialists and and uh, uh, you will find about not about not only about interventions, but about uh, uh, availability in different states of folks that do interventions. And I would say, you know, there's books written on it. Uh, you can. Uh, my website is stortymodel.com. S T O R T I Model. Dot com, And there uh, is a phone number right there that you can call me. Uh, you can call me, ask any question. I'll get back to you. And uh, from there, uh, see where it goes. You know? Yeah, i got to cut you off. i got about 30 seconds, so I want to thank you for coming on the show. My um, and, pleasure. Thank you. And, and please tune in next week when we have Douglas Darby, Anthony Alvarado from Rise Together, and Robert Vincent from SAMHSA to talk about how to talk to your kids about drugs. And before I go, I got a card uh, from a Madison uh, thing that I went through this week, and it says service. The high road to service is traveled with integrity, compassion, and understanding. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And what a poignant uh, message for today's show with intervention. So I'd like to say thank you, have a great week, and enjoy life. Thank you for listening to I Took the High Road. Please join Jacob Jansen for another encouraging hour next Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.